good to have everybody and see everybody this morning. Before we get started, there's a couple things I just wanted to, uh, to kind of acknowledge. One is, if you see flash going off, it's not lightning in the building to accompany the rain. We're just trying to take some pictures for the website. Just, we'll just all deal with it. It's fine. And then, uh, secondly, uh, it's February, and uh, February is Black History Month. And you may ask the question, I don't know, uh, why does that matter on a Sunday morning at Redemption Church? What does it matter uh, that it's Black History Month? So I just want to take a couple moments to, to share uh, these words from Duke Kwan. Duke Kwan is a pastor of uh, Grace Meridian Hill in, in Washington, D.C. He wrote this on Facebook during the week. I, we shared it on Redemption Church's thing, but I just want to go over it real quick, and we're going to talk about just a couple quick things. So the question is, why might a non-black, or why might non-black Christians observe or celebrate Black History Month at a non-black church? And there's five reasons. Number one, to deepen fellowship with our black Christian sisters and brothers by honoring their family stories, learning about the historical and cultural context that shape who they are. Number two, to cultivate a cross-cultural skill, our, our cross-cultural skills in order to love our black local neighbors more genuinely and more effectively. After all, we cannot love our neighbors and well without knowing their stories and without sharing a common memory of the past. A third reason to celebrate Black History Month, to learn more of the all-too-neglected history of the black church, uh, recognizing that the black church history is part of church history. Number four, to model the gospel ethic of mutually inter interdependency by esteeming a subdominant culture, historically one that's devalued and subjugated even in and by the church, and celebrating its people and achievements and witnessing its vast potential to fortify the ministry and mission of the church. And then five, that we would grow in repentance for corporate sins committed against black people, often in the name of Christ. Sins past, sins present, of commission and omission as a necessary step towards true reconciliation and inter-ethnic unity in the church. And then I would just add for Redemption Church specifically that as we're praying through this year, uh, that we would be a church that uh, is, is a diverse uh, body of believers representative of the community that we live in, celebrating and observing Black History Month intentionally is a practical step. However small it may be, it's a practical step in that direction. So this month at Redemption Church, we've actually asked a couple of our African-American friends to, uh, to come and join us uh, as we preach through the book of Acts. They're not coming just to share about race or even black history in particular, but we think that their voice and their perspective are a gift and, and they're important, and we want to deepen our fellowship and our relationship with them. So you'll be looking for that. We have a couple of, of guests coming to join us. Uh, other, other people from our community that are going to come in and speak. And then also, I'll be posting some recommended resources on the blog, on our website, some books, some media stuff you could watch, some articles, things like that. I just encourage you to take a look at it, uh, to take an opportunity to, to check those things out. Uh, Utilize the resources to learn about, about black history and cultivate your own ability to empathize, repent, and love cross-culturally. So that's it. It's February. It's Black History Month. And we're going to observe that and celebrate it intentionally at Redemption Church. I'll put some resources out. We're going to have some friends come and speak with us. There's a bunch of good resources next door at Book Tavern, too. It has a great selection. So uh, that might be something to check out. With that, 
Would you just pray with me, and then we'll jump into our series in Acts. Our Father, uh, we just thank you this morning for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the good news of the personal work of Jesus who has come and who is with us and who's going to come again. We thank you for this time together, a time to gather as a body of believers, to point each other to Jesus, to remind each other of the good news of Jesus. And Father, we just pray that you would be, uh, that, that Jesus would be just raised up and esteemed and exalted this morning among us in such a way that we would know him, and as we know him, we know you, we know our Father. So Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our hearts, that you would say what you want said to each one of us, that you'd have each of us hear what you'd have us hear so that we would know Jesus Christ and that we would know the good news and that we would experience the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we're in Acts chapter 3. We started uh, Acts at the beginning of the year. Uh, and in the first series, the first couple chapters, we just called it Pentecost. Uh, and, and this morning we're moving on uh, and we're starting a new series. And it's going to be called, it's called Witnesses, and it'll be covering chapters 3 through 7. And the question is, what does it mean to be Jesus' witnesses? What does it mean to be a witness of Jesus? I, I wouldn't be surprised that if I say Jesus' witnesses, that some in the room might think of Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, they might just jump to that, but I, I want us to take that back, right? I want us to... Take the title back. I don't want it to seem weird to be called Jesus' Witnesses. And this is why. It's because it's exactly what Jesus called us to be. Jesus called us to be his witnesses. In Acts 1, verse 8, which we covered a a couple weeks ago, uh, it says this. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as we noted at the beginning of our time in Acts a few weeks ago, this verse, chapter 1, verse 8, kind of serves as like the most succinct outline for the whole book of Acts. So during our series on the first two chapters, we examined the first part of that outline, the, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost. And now as we move into the next few chapters, we'll see the the story advancing to the second part of that outline in verse 1-8, to the, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Filled with the Spirit, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And what's neat to see unfold over the next several weeks, I think, uh, what's neat to see kind of unfold before us is how the apostles went bearing witness, giving testimony that Jesus has proven Lord, that Jesus is proven Savior through his death and through his resurrection, but they just, when they went and witnessed like that, it had a multiplying effect, right? Like, eventually, they told people about Jesus. I mean, they told people who, about Jesus who didn't see Jesus uh, raised from the dead, right? They didn't see Jesus ascend into the clouds, but they, too, became witnesses. They also became witnesses of Jesus' lordship. They became witnesses of Jesus' saving work, and the people they told about Jesus uh, eventually told more people about Jesus, and the gospel spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth and to here in 2018 in Augusta, Georgia. We are witnesses 
We're witnesses that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Savior, and the gospel's still advancing. The gospel's still advancing through his church as witnesses bear witness to others, testify to others that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Savior. By the power of the Holy Spirit, people are still being led to Jesus who then lead others to Jesus. Disciples are still making disciples, and the kingdom of God is advancing. It's still advancing. And the gospel of Jesus then calls us also to be his witnesses. But if we're called to be witnesses, what does it mean? If we're called to be witnesses, what does it mean? When I think of witnessing, I think of this experience I had. Uh, In high school, I was part of it. I kind of got involved in a a local uh, youth group who was going to Baltimore, Maryland on a mission trip. Didn't honestly even know much about what a mission trip was. Uh, I know that I had hung out with these people for a couple weeks. They were going. It was kind of too late to sign up, but I liked hanging out with the people, and I wanted to go on a trip. That sounded good, so I signed up. We were going to Baltimore, Maryland. At the time, it was one of the most unchurched cities in America. I'm not sure now. But anyways, we spent weeks preparing for the mission trip beforehand, right? We, we spent weeks learning how to share the gospel. We learned little ways that we could talk about Jesus, like with a pen and a napkin. Right? We could show little diagrams and things like that. We learned how to walk people through the Roman road, which is going through several patch, passages in Romans to share how Jesus saves. And then we got there, and we went to Maryland, and we did some, we kind of paired up with this church plant. We went into a neighborhood, and we put flyers out everywhere that we're going to do a backyard Bible study and hang out with the kids, and, and we did, and people came. Lots of kids came out. We had fun with the kids in the neighborhood. We played with them. We taught them about Jesus. We drew diagrams for them. We walked them through the Roman road. We prayed with them, and, and we blessed the neighborhood. Like, it was actually obvious that we were blessing the neighborhood. Parents got their kids out of the house for a week in a safe environment. They liked that. Um, and we cared for their kids. And the church plant ended up building lots of relationships that they didn't have before in our neighborhood. And it was, we, we went blessing. But I, don't really, I don't really remember how many people were saved. I don't really remember, I don't remember a lot of details. But what I do remember the most is that I realized then how much I loved like getting to know Jesus and like telling other people about Jesus. Like I asked Jesus to be my savior years before that as a little kid, but it was the first time that I really felt like I was experiencing the Christian life. I was kind of getting in on this idea that there's a personal relationship with Jesus and it, it was exciting to me. It's something I didn't hadn't experienced before, I didn't really know about. You know, and so I was actually kind of pursuing this relationship with Jesus and all all I remember is that I, I started having that experience on this trip and as we learned those things and as I was witnessing with others and, uh, or telling, them, telling others about Jesus, I remember having this impulse as I was changed a little bit, right? This impulse to like serve people, to like take out the trash or like clean up the stuff at the camp that we were staying out or whatever it was. I just had this impulse to serve. I just wanted to serve. I wanted to, and I really wanted to talk about Jesus more because he was doing something in me. I was experiencing Jesus changing me. I was witnessing him become my Lord. Right? So what comes to mind when you hear the call to witness? Or the call to witness, to be a witness? Maybe you think of a courtroom. Like you take the witness stand and you testify. I think that's a pretty good understanding of what a witness does. Right? They, They tell about what they've seen. They testify about something that they've 
seen or experienced. Others might hear witnessing and, and have like kind of a church environment background and, and have something that goes with that. Like maybe you think about going door to door. Maybe you think about talking to random people on the street or passing out tracts. Or I don't know what comes to mind. Some of those type things, depending on your personality, could sound like a blast. Or if you're like me, that could sound absolutely terrifying. I don't want to go knock on people's door and just like, I don't want to knock on people's door for any reason. You know, I don't want to have a conversation. But anyways, as we're called by Jesus to be his witnesses, the question is, we have to ask him. What does it mean to answer the call to be his witnesses? What does it mean to be a witness? And so that's where we are this morning in Acts chapter 3. If you want to turn with me there. Acts chapter 3. We're going through this whole chapter. Acts chapter 3, 1 through 26. It's a lot, but it all kind of fits together. It's one big scene. And so let's just take a look at that. We're going to read through it and kind of get, kind of get the whole scene of what's happening. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And entering the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied and the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed to you for Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers, and you shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. 
And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken, from Samuel and those who came after him, also proclaim these days. This is one of my favorite parts. You are the sons of the prophets, and the covenant that God made with your father is saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first, you by turning every one of you by your wickedness, or to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Would you bear with me as we get through it? So let's talk about what happens here in this scene. As they're going up, John and Peter, Peter and John, as they're going up to the temple to pray together, and I just don't want us to miss this. We can't unpack this, but we, we talked a little bit about it last week. I just mentioned it in passing last week. Peter and John are going together. If you remember last week, the, all the disciples were with Peter when he spoke. And before that, there was 120 people waiting for the Holy Spirit. There's a pattern beginning to develop here, and we'll get to unpack that at some point. But notice, Peter and John together are going up to pray at the temple. And then they encounter the lame beggar begging for alms. And Peter says, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. Then he heals the man in Jesus' name, and he reaches out his hand to help him up. Right? I love the act of reaching out the hand. Like, we're going to come back to this in just a minute, but, but like the imagery of it reminds me of when Jesus reached down to grab the hand of Peter as he sank in the water when he doubted. You remember that? After that, the lame man jumps. He runs and he walks with them into the temple and he's praising God. It draws a crowd. Everybody's looking to Peter and John and then Peter speaks. And his speech or his message or his sermon, it's, it's very, very similar to the one we read last week in chapter 2. It has very much the same points. And I don't want to spend a lot of time rehashing just those points, but I do want us to look back just briefly. Because last week, we looked at Peter's message, and we said it functioned to clarify three things. Right? It functioned to clarify three things, and this speech and this sermon, this message does the same thing. It clarifies three very specific things, at least. One, it clarifies how the events they are currently witnessing prove the lordship of Jesus. Like Last week, those events were the Holy Spirit had come. There was Holy Spirit-inspired speech. People were speaking in different tongues, and Peter, in his sermon, talked about how these events prove the lordship of Jesus Christ. And in this week, the scene is the healing of the lame beggar. And Peter begins by talking about how this proves the lordship of Jesus. And then the remaining two implications are very much the same. It clarifies who these people are and where they stand in light of Jesus' lordship. That they are enemies of God. That they were murderers. And then... Lastly, it clarifies what Jesus has done and what he invites them to do and invites us to do. So after Peter speaks, as we'll see in the coming weeks even, this keeps happening. This same message keeps getting preached. It was preached last week when the Holy Spirit came. Now it's being preached here at Solomon's portico, and he's going to keep preaching it. And they're all going to keep saying the same thing. Jesus is Lord. You're an enemy of his. But the very things that prove him to be Lord also prove him to be Savior. Repent, turn back, and follow him. It's an invitation. They've been called to be Jesus' witnesses, these apostles, and by the empowering of the Holy Spirit, 
That's, like the, that's exactly the work they go about doing. And it's with this message. Jesus is Lord. You're his enemy. But the very thing that makes him Lord makes him your Savior. Repent and turn back. So what does it mean to be Jesus' witnesses? And I think here's the takeaway for us today. Is that being a witness means that you've seen that Jesus is Lord, that you've realized your own broken condition, and that you've experienced Jesus as Savior. And that because you've experienced Jesus as Savior, you have good news to tell others. Because you've been blessed by Jesus, you have blessings to give to others. He's done it for you, and he'll do it for them. And that's what it means to bear witness to others, right? It's, it's not a game. Witnessing is not a game. It's not a, a battle of wits to see if you can convince somebody. It's not a mustering up enough courage to knock on the next door. And it's not about numbers and about how many we can get. That's not what it is. When Peter and John come upon the, the lame beggar at the temple asking for alms, Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. In verse 6. Then Peter helped him up. Then Peter gave everybody the good news of Jesus. I think that we just often think about witnessing in terms of conversions and in terms of like getting enough getting enough people to convert or like getting our quota or just like a job. It's it's easy just to think of it as a job, to like go and tell people and to move on. But this was an act of compassion. It's what we just witnessed here. This is an act of compassion, an act of blessing somebody, an act of giving a gift to somebody, an act of reaching out and helping somebody in need. While Peter and John have nothing to give, but they said we don't have any silver or gold, I'm pretty convinced that if they had it, they would give it. But they gave the man the very best thing that they had. They blessed him, and they blessed the whole crowd that gathered around. They knew what Jesus had done for them, and they knew they had the riches of Christ to give to others. And this is what it looks like to bear witness of Jesus to others. Praying continually, walking towards outsiders with the blessing of Jesus, as we kind of looked at in Colossians 4 at the end of our Advent series. Praying continually and walking towards outsiders. Now, that's what it looks like to bear witness to others. And we're going to have time to, to get to the how-to of bearing witness and, and of giving testimony and of sharing the gospel the how-tos of that as we continue through this series. But this week, as we jump into the next part of Acts, these next few chapters, I just want to ask each of us whether you are a witness. Are you a witness of Jesus? Are you a witness? Like all the people were familiar, like all the people in the crowd and in the temple were familiar with this lame man at the gate of the temple, right? Later we find out that he was over 40 years old. He'd been lame since birth, he was over 40 years old, and he spent every day out there asking for alms and begging. So when they saw him walking and running and jumping and praising God, bearing witness to others, testifying to others, they too became witness because they knew for sure that something very big was different. Something big had happened, right? And so the question is, when I'm asking this, are you a witness? Are you different? Do we even think we need to be different? I think that's a good question. Do we even think that we need to be different? Are we a witness? Have you seen Jesus? Have you experienced Jesus? Does Peter's message cut you to the heart? 
like it did last week? Does it, does it matter for you? Do you see yourself as the lame man who needed healing? Or do you believe you have no real need? Do you read the story that we just read and just try to figure out you know, how, to, how to try to share the gospel like the apostles did or like how you could get that gift of healing or whatever? Listen, Peter doubted Jesus and sank in the waters. And Jesus reached out and saved him. Peter tried to stand in the way of Jesus and was rebuked by Jesus and, and, told, and called Satan. Peter denied Jesus while Jesus was on his way to the cross. And then Jesus, when he was resurrected, ate with him on the beach and restored him. The apostles shared the way they shared because they had witnessed how Jesus had saved them. They had experienced Jesus becoming their Lord and becoming their Savior. That's why the apostles witnessed the way they witnessed. I love the invitation in Psalm 34, 8. Psalm 34, 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Maybe you've heard of a little soft drink company. It's called Coca-Cola. Anybody? It's in Atlanta. I have a small collection of their old products, which is it's weird. I don't know why we do that. I don't know why I collect products from a, a product. Like, I don't get that, but I do it. I like their stuff. Uh, so I have a little collection of their stuff. And here's a little info, information about Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola, or Coke, is a carbonated soft drink produced by the Coca-Cola company. Originally intended as a patent medicine, it was invented in the late 19th century by John Pemberton and was bought out by a businessman uh, named Asa Griggs Handler, if I'm pronouncing that right, whose marketing tactics led Coca-Cola to its dominance of the world soft drink market through the 20th century. The drink's name refers to two of its original ingredients, which were cola nuts, which was a source of caffeine, and coca leaves. The current formula for Coca-Cola remains a trade secret, although the variety of reported recipes and experimental recreations uh, have been published on the Internet and whatever. Now, if you've never had Coca-Cola, which I know that's crazy, but if you've never had it, you might say, well, that's interesting. You might also say that's boring, but you might say that's interesting. What does it taste like? What does Coke taste like? Well, they produce the, the finished product in cans and bottles from the concentrate in combination with filtered water and sweeteners. A typical 12-ounce fluid, uh, a 12-U.S. fluid ounce container contains 38 grams of sugar, usually in the form of high fructose corn syrup. Oh, really? You know, play along. Uh, Wow, that sounds pretty sweet. What does it taste like? What does it taste like? Well, they have Coke Classic. They have Diet Coke. They have Cherry Coke. They have Coke Zero. They have Vanilla Coke. They have Sprite and just a whole plethora of other uh, flavor combinations. Okay, what's your favorite? Like, what does it taste like? Right? My point is there's a difference in knowing about Coca-Cola and knowing the taste of Coca-Cola. There's a difference in... And knowing all this stuff about a product and its history, and there's a difference between that and actually pulling out that red can from an icy ice chest in the middle of summer out on the lake and popping it open. Right? There's a difference about in knowing about a product and there's and knowing and experiencing the taste of a delicious Coca-Cola. 
Only the latter will really make somebody else interested in having one. Most people are not interested in the history of Coca-Cola or what's in it. But if I could tell you how refreshing it is on a hot summer day when the ice is sticking to the side of the red can and the, just how great it is when you pop it open, you take the first sip, and it kind of tingles your eyes and your nose, you might be like, I would like that sensation. <laughs> I'll have a Coke, please, right? There's a difference in knowing about Coca-Cola and knowing and experiencing the taste of Coca-Cola. Only the latter will really make somebody else interested in tasting it, right? And there is a difference in knowing about Jesus and knowing and tasting and experiencing Jesus. Only the latter will convey why he's worth knowing. A witness who has mere knowledge about Jesus has very little of value to share. But a witness who has tasted, who has seen, and who has experienced the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ has something very real to give away. Do we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior? Have we experienced him? Like, Do we need sins forgiven? Do we have a thirst for him? Do we need him to quench that thirst? Do we need him to save us? Or do we just need him to fix the world that we live in, but we don't personally need fixing? Are we lame? Are we broken? Are we like the crowd in the temple going about their religious duties of prayer, who at their very best, while doing their religious duties and praying, were still enemies of God? I'm asking all this because if we don't need him, then we haven't witnessed who he is. And we can't bear witness of who he is we don't know him, and if we haven't witnessed him, if we haven't experienced him, if we aren't convinced that we personally need the good news, we won't believe that we need to give it to anybody else. It's actually a very real danger that we'll just fall into a, a faith that's wanting God to like intervene in the world and get rid of all the scum on the earth around us that's just making the whole place awful, and we can just thank God that he didn't make us like them. But here's the deal, and this is, this is something that I think we all need to hear. I need to hear it. And we confess our sin together on Sunday morning. We need to hear this, but it hurts a little bit too. Because you and I are the so-called scum. But Jesus made a way to make us pure, right? He offered, he, offering forgiveness of sins through his own death and resurrection. He came for us even though we were the scum. You and I are the lame. We're the incapable. But Jesus gave us his name and his very nature, and he filled us with the Spirit so that we have his strength and his ability. You and I are broken. But Jesus has brought healing and restoration. Scripture says in Isaiah, by his stripes we are healed. You and I are enemies of God at our very best, even while we're here this morning. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, he loved us, and he loves us. And you need Jesus, and I need Jesus, and we need the Holy Spirit to reveal who we are in light of who Jesus is. Because like Peter's audience, you and I have denied the Holy and Righteous One. You and I are why he came also. 
you and I killed the author of life, as Peter says here. We're called to be witnesses. But it's not merely a job, it's an invitation to come and experience, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, near the end of the passage in in Peter's message to Solomon in in Solomon's portico, chapter 3, verse 22 through 26, he says this. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. I love that part. You are the sons of the prophets. I love how, just as in Peter's sermon in Acts 2, he gets to clue these people in on who they really are, who their identity really is in, and what's actually happening in the moment. He identifies them as the recipients of the fulfillment of all the ancient prophecies and promises of God. They are receiving those promises and all the promises they ever expected to be fulfilled and all they hope for is happening in their midst and they're unaware, but Peter's making them aware. Jesus is Lord. He's the Christ that was promised. Jesus is the long-expected king that we were promised. Jesus is the Savior. And listen to that invitation. It's in 3, 19 through 20. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I'm praying for us that we get clued in by the Spirit, even this morning, in much the same way. And see the invitation is, is just as much for each of us in this room as it was for the lame man and for the crowds in this scene. Acts 1.8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all the earth. And so as Peter tells these people, you're the sons of the prophets, what we need to hear this morning is this good news. You are the ends of the earth. Like You're the ends of the earth. What was talked about here, it's happened. It's come to us. It's come through... 2,000 years has come through time. It's come through around the world to reach us here. You are the ends of the earth. Jesus said it would happen. And the Holy Spirit has indeed advanced the kingdom even to here, even to us. And it's, it's not like a good marketing campaign that made it happen. I mean, it is pretty good. But it's not about a good marketing campaign that brought the gospel this far. It's people who witness who Jesus actually is. It's people who were repenting and turning back that their sins may be blotted out and the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The good news has come to us because they experienced healing through the ages and told everybody about it. People were turned from their wickedness. People were changed. People became different because of the saving work of Jesus and they went 
and told everybody. The good news just spilled out of them. A 40-year-old lame man who's been lame all his life and is healed can't help but jump up and run and tell people what's happened. And sick people who are made well can't help but tell people what's happened. So you and I, we're called to be witnesses. You're called to make disciples, to walk towards outsiders with the blessing of Jesus. But this morning, as we kind of jump into this series called Witnesses, I think the call is to taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. As a church, at Redemption Church, we're, we're taking some very intentional steps to be missional we use that word a lot, right? To be missional, to be going out. We want to we want to walk towards outsiders, to walk towards the people in our neighborhood in downtown Augusta. We want to be a blessing to the people in our neighborhood. We want to bless them with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we're called to do that. And we want all of us going. But listen, I don't want us going armed with like mere book smarts and religious know-how. I want us armed with the good news experience. Like, are we armed with, like, the good news of Jesus experienced in our life? How are you a witness of Jesus as Lord and Savior? How has he changed you? Are you a witness? How are you a witness of Jesus as Lord and Savior? And I'm not just talking about your conversion story if you're a Christian. Probably a good question to ask. What's one way you've experienced the good news of Jesus in the past six months? Martin Luther's first of the 95 Theses says, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of the believers to be one of repentance. How are you continuing to experience the good news of Jesus? Like continuing to turn back, continuing to, we say it all the time, increasingly submitting all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ? How are you continuing to turn back to him? And how is it bearing fruit in your life? Because that's the stuff you'll have to talk about. That's the stuff that you have to give. That's what you have to share. That the, that's the stuff that the Holy Spirit will use to make Christ known to others. That's how he makes you a witness of Jesus Christ. So the invitation is to taste and see that the Lord is good. Turn back to him for time of refreshing. And someone here may have never heard the invitation to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And you're not a Christian and you don't identify as that. And I hope this morning that you do hear the invitation is for you. That Jesus is Lord. He's God. He is King. And he created you for a purpose. To know him and to make him known in all the earth. And there's no greater joy than to live following the way you were created to live. There's no greater joy than following Jesus. The truth is, though, you're his enemy. As we all have been and all are. You'd set up your kingdom over his in a heartbeat. But it's folly. It's not going to get you anywhere. They can't save you. They can't make life last forever, and it's not even a real life lived. There's nothing there for you. He's God, and you're not. But Jesus came, this is the invitation, but Jesus came among us, 
He's God, and he came down to us. He came, he put his crown aside as we sung, and he lived, and he died, and he was buried, and he was raised from the dead to restore you into right relationship with God and with others and with all of creation. And so there's an invitation to turn back and to follow him instead of whatever you're following. His way is life. It's true life. It's the life you were created for. Any other life that you weren't created for is a broken life. Every other way is death. It's dead living now, and it leads to nothing but death forever. So the invitation is to turn back. Jesus is for you, and his hands are extended to you in compassion. And his love is refreshing. There's nothing as refreshing as Jesus. Not even that cold Coca-Cola. So the call is to taste and see that the Lord is good. Turn to him. Respond to him. If you want to pray with somebody, I'd be glad to do that. Or talk through that more. We're going to enter into a time of response, which we do each week. And there's a few things that we're going to do. The band will come back up, and they'll lead us through worship, through song. It's a time for you to sing together and to like exalt Christ together. It's a time for us to also reflect, to pray, to respond to Jesus as the Holy Spirit moves you to do that.